0: Well, good morning. Let's begin. So today's daf is Chav. We are going to begin on Yotzes Amud Beis. We left off. We left off seven lines up from the bottom. Says the Gemara: Chad Barnash, Sherao Ose Yotze. Excuse me. Chad Barnash. Chad Barnash Betziporin. Excuse me. Ozil bo'in mizban kupad min So, if you remember again, we're continuing a little bit from the sugya of yesterday. So the Mishnah spoke about this idea that if you find meat, depending on how the meat is cut up will determine the kashrus status of the meat. So the Gemara said, for example, if it's a varm, if it's large pieces, that's indicative of the fact that somebody just intended to sell it to their, to not to sell it, excuse me, to feed it to their animal, which of course is indicative of the fact that it's probably in the vela. As opposed to if you find it cut up in smaller pieces, that's indicative of the fact that a person intends it for consumption, and therefore the mice is considered to be kosher. So we saw yesterday again the fundamental machlokis, or the, the not the machlokis, but the concepts of kol kavua kamechza a damya, or called the parish miruba parish rov, versus taking something from an established point of origin. The tells a couple of stories to that effect. So the Gemara says, chad bainash there's There was a person in Siporin. Siporin is Tzipori, north of Eretz Yisrael. He wanted to buy a piece of meat from the butcher. A legitimate request. And what happens? The butcher would not give it to him. So apparently there was some type of falling out between the customer and the butcher, and the butcher refused to sell him meat. All right. So, what does the Jew do? The Jew goes to his uh, Gentile friend, the Roman, and he says to the Roman, Do me a favor, go into this shop and purchase a piece of meat and then give it to me. Okay, so assuming that the, the proprietor is not going to refuse selling it to the Roman guy, so just you'll buy it, you'll give it to me. So, what happens? Well, they say he does it. So, the Roman does it, purchases the piece of meat, and gives it to the Jew. So, now the Jewish, the, 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 well, let's call them, let's call them Reuven and Shimon. So Reuven was the one who wanted to buy the money. Shimon is the, Shimon is the butcher. Ruven now has the piece of meat that he got from his Gentile friend. He goes back into the store and he says to Shimon, naspis Ah, Shimon, did I get you, right? I bought this piece of meat, literally, al means against your will, right? You thought that you were getting me. Now I'm going, now yeah, you see I got the meat, right? So, oh. Uh, so what does Shimon say? oh I'm sorry, Ruvain. In fact, you know, he's a Gentile, so what did I sell him? I sold him a piece of meat. So you think you got me? I got you. So obviously after something. So this 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 case is fascinating for one on one particular level, which is that now essentially what you have is you have a Jewish you have a Jewish butcher claiming that he sold non kosher meat to an individual that he was in the possession of he was in the right it's a right it's a minor he was in the possession, he, he was in the he was in possession possession of non kosher meat and he sold it to this non Jew so the so the question now is so what happens now to the rest of meat sales that day meaning once he was mode that he sold non kosher meat so question is what happens now with the rest of the people that Meat from him that particular day. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Rabbi So they brought this case before Rebbe. And what did Rebbe say? Rebbe said, Literally, this butcher is not believed to answer all of the meat that has come out of the marketplaces in Tsippurin. I will say, Take a look at the Tiklin Charetin. So, left hand side, bottom of the page, three lines up from the bottom. That literally, this one butcher is not believed to go ahead and asser all of the, all of the all of the marketplaces in the city. <laughs> So what Rebbe said is that since the majority of butchers are kosher butchers, that was the case in Sipori, and therefore the majority of the meat that is sold is in fact kosher meat, therefore lemaisa we consider this case as the outlier. Even though now he sold non-kosher meat, we do not consider that to be indicative of the rest of his sales, and therefore lemaisa again, the meat that came out of the marketplace on that day is kosher. Yes, we do believe him that he saw, if he says that he sold non-kosher meat, to this Gentile. We're not going to contradict his assertion, but at the same time, this one sale of non-kosher meat does not in any way ruin the rove, ruin the majority of kosher meat sales. And also, I'll show you something interesting just about this. If you take a look, if you take a look, um, take a look at the carbon Ha'eda on the right-hand side. On the right-hand side, uh, it's, it's, the, it's, the first, it's the first commentary on the right-hand side. So take a look about five lines before it ends. V'amar, Rebbi, Rebbe said, Lav kol le Sarma Kolin dit Sipori, the hevan shelo hikrizu trefa boba yom habasermoter. Both I said the karma either quotes a fascinating practice. Apparently, what used to happen was that if during the course of the day there was an animal that was a trefa, right? Now a trefa could mean a couple of different things. A trefa could mean that they to the animal and they found some type of blemish on the lungs. Or they found that the animal, it's not just the lungs, they found some type of terminal illness within the animal itself. Or somebody botched the shlita. What they used to do is they would announce that just to understand that there, there was an animal today in the sluraz that was a trefa. Now why was that important to announce? Because what that told people is there's going to be non-kosher meat for sale that day because obviously what would you do with the trefa? You'd sell it to the non-Jews, right? Or, or for that matter, literally, or you could sell it to Jews for, for their animals. But the point is apparently what the covenant says is that whenever there was a trefa, they would announce it in the marketplace that people should be extra vigilant about what it is that you're buying. It's just interesting. So in this case, Rabbi Rav went ahead and said that this one act, this one sale of non-kosher meat does not ruin the rove, and the rove is that kosher meat is in the marketplace. Fine. The Gemara goes weiter. So the Gemara says, Rav Nachas Litzaman, Rav went to Babel, and what happened, Makilin, he saw that they were very lenient, I will say, it doesn't say what they were lenient in, but apparently what he picked up on was a general, a general almost laxadaisical approach to their Judaism. So what does he decide? The chumra So Rav says There's a new sheriff in town right? So what happens? Rav says he has to clearly fix What he felt to be the breaches Within halachic observance in the community So he goes ahead and he's machmir on them. Now again, he's machmir. the Gemara doesn't tell us What he was machmir with Now the Gemara sa- says once he's there A story happened. happens We will see this story is not reflective Necessarily of a khumra of Rav But it's just brought up in this context Listen to this There was a person who went, who literally went, tap of chaf, boy mishizgo as kufase, bego nahara. He wanted to go ahead and wash his meat in the river. That was if you take a look at the if you take a look at the tiklin kharatin, he says, Mishasgi Basra Askufe, so I will say, according to Ticklin Charetin, what happened over here is that he went to the river to wash his meat. I guess he bought it from the marketplace. And you know, I will say, it's not like today, where you go to the supermarket, you buy, or whatever, you, buy, you go to the butcher, you buy a piece of meat, and it's my wish, it's ready to go. You know, you bought meat, and the only thing the Shochit was generally guaranteeing you was, was what? That it was shechted, right? It was geshacht, right? It was shechted properly. Maybe, depending on when you were buying it, maybe that it was salted. But generally, you had to take care. This was, you had to take care of the rest yourself. So the guy goes down to the river to wash the meat. So according to Tiklin Kharitin, what ends up happening is he, he he puts the meat in the water and he loses the meat. He loses the meat. According to the Karbona, Ada and others, it's not that he lost the meat, but rather, again, what ends up happening is he forgot some meat there by the bank of the river. So let, let's read it. It doesn't... The truth is, practically, it's the same. It's the same issue as we'll see. So what happens? The so See, he forgot it by the bank of the river, and and he left. He left Khazar boi mesibne. So he came back. He realized he forgot the piece, of, the piece of meat by the bank of the river. He goes. And he goes back to the river, and now he figures, okay, I'm going to retrieve the meat. So what happens? So amrali Rav Rav says it's Asr. You can't eat this meat. Why? Did not Amarle because I could easily say shut off Nara. Literally, the river has taken this piece of meat. The icy churi d'nevela tachtui, and it has replaced this piece of meat with a piece of nevela, a piece of non-kosher meat. So I'll we'll say, what does this mean? Take a look at the Tiklin Chaditan for just a moment. So Tiklin Kharatin writes. He says. He says. Um, actually, take a look at the Karbana Ada. Let's do Kabbalah Ada. He says i will say the So here, Rav is introducing us to a new concept called which means what? that if you have meat, see we often assume that as long as you know that the meat is kosher that's enough it's not true, in order, from, in order for you to ascertain that meat is kosher, you have to have had an awareness of that meat the entire time it's been in your possession but if somehow that meat slipped out of your consciousness, that meat again, or more than consciousness that meat was out of your, your sight, then we have to be khoshish that perhaps the meat that you left is not the meat that you found and therefore Rav says, you, you know, Ruven, you left the meat by the bank of the river, so now you're you come back; the meat's in the same exact spot. That must be the very meat that you left. The halacha says it's a chumrah. The halacha says no. We're machmir again in terms of the contrast of the meat. That maybe the meat that you left is not the meat that you've come back to, and therefore he asserted the meat. I will say, by the way, just so you should know this constant basreshenis ali mina ayin is halacha lemaisa. That's the thing you'll see to your, your achmiel about it. I'll tell you the applications of it in the contrast in the contrast industry. That's why again, you know, if a mashkiach is locking something up, he just can't put the piece of meat. He's got to put a. C- on it, there's got to be some kind of simon on it, that it's clear that even if he leaves the room, when he comes back, it's the same piece of meat. <laughs> simon tells another story. <laughs> there was a man who was walking in the marketplace. And he was holding a steak. Okay, let's go to hold the steak. So Asa so boss we'll it literally a daisa. A daisa is a vulture. So a vulture came along and grabbed the piece of meat from him. boy khase. So boss, we'll what happens? So the vulture went ahead and took the piece of meat. And now the vulture flies off a little bit. And then the vulture drops the piece of meat. The man figures he finds his piece of meat and now he wants to retrieve it and eat it. Armali Rav Asr. Rav says, Assu, Rav says it's no, you can't eat it. Why? Because I could say, Because I could say that maybe the vulture was holding more than one piece of meat. And the piece of meat that the vulture dropped, maybe he, he swooped up your kosher piece of meat. He also swooped up a non-kosher piece of meat. And maybe the piece of meat that he dropped was what? Was the non-kosher piece of meat. Okay? So again, it's the same idea once you lose visual contact with your meat. And again, there's no identifying simon. The assumption is that there's not going to be an identifying simon on a piece of meat. So therefore, the mice again, you, have to, you cannot assume that the piece of meat that you lost is the piece of meat that you found. I, I forgot to mention that the shir today is dedicated by Chaim and Jackie Nachman in memory of Jackie's mother, Drezel Nechama Bas Chaim And we hope that in the merit of our Torah, Nesham will have an aliyah. Amen. Okay, so, so another example of that Ali So we'll say the Gemara tells another story. The Gemara says the following. Ginoi. Ginoi. We'll say if you take a look, just one, one second before we go on, take a look at the Tiklin Charetin. Again, bottom right hand corner, bottom right hand side, it's about six lines in so, both like, the attr, excuse Kharatin attributes this Chumrah of Rav <coughs> to the fact that they were very Makil in Bavel. But I'm just pointing out that although that might have started out as a Chumrah as a in Bavel, it absolutely became part of normative halacha over time. This Kanzabashanis Alimina'ain. So, the Gemara goes weiter. Ginoi shut off Zikin. So, another story Ginoi is the Ginoi River. The Ginoy River, once washed away, Zikin and Rabosei are wineskins. Remember again, what they used to do is they would take, very often it was the stomach of the animal, and they would convert it essentially into a bag, or you can make it out of out of, out of of sewn pieces of leather together as well. They make a wineskin. So what happens, the Ginoy River once washed away the wineskins of a number of Jews. So obviously the problem with that is what? Wine, wine of a non-Jew is problematic. At worst, it's Yayin Nesech, it's, it's, it's idolatrous libation wine. At best, it's what's called Stam Yenum, the regular wine of an Andrew, which is still Asr. So now the question is going to become what happens to those wineskins? So what happens? Shot of Zikin, aso of the Rabbi Abyetzchak. So we'll say what happened. So the river washed away the wineskins. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, the owners of the wineskins tracked down wineskins. They found wineskins washed up by the river. So the Shaila is, could they assume that the wineskins that they found were the wineskins that they lost? So the Maisek came up for Rabbi Yitzchak. And he said the following. He said, excuse me. Shafaya Literally, let these wise men examine their knots. So I'll say apparently the way you the way you you would knot the top of the wineskin. And apparently people used to tie knots in different ways. In different ways. So one of the ways in which you'd be able to, and again, this was also one of the ways of an identifying simon. So essentially, Biscook says, listen, if you could identify your knot on the wineskin and the knot is still intact, then what? Then that's enough evidence of the fact that this is the wineskin you lost. That's A and B, what else does it prove? That the wine has not been tampered with. Because you have to prove two things A, that it's yours, and B, that the wine inside has not been tampered with or replaced with anything else. So as long as you're, you can recognize you're not, and your not is still intact, you could go ahead and enjoy the wine. So the mar goes weiter. Nikunika. So Nikunika is a container of wine. Nikunika ashtachach biknishta de buli. They once found a barrel of wine, a container of wine, biknishta in the shul in the city of buli. So what happened? So the so the Kshah says, what was the status of this particular wine? So the Gemara says, <coughs> they came before Abshur and Abiysk says, Amar, Yischaqamun sakaruye avidituhun. Literally, it if you take a look <will> at the kharatin, sikiruya, o san shikru bis <laughs> sikr So what, what often happened was that when they would bottle or I guess they would called bottle or barrel wine, so they would often go ahead and make markings on the container to indicate again if the brand what the batch was if it was kosher or not. So Bitsrok says let the people who work in the bottling company who normally make the roshem who make the mark on the barrel let them come and attest to the fact that this barrel is in fact a barrel of kosher wine. So we'll say what you're seeing over here is the following after we got finished saying that there's a concept of busser or yayin, shenis alim in let's say with meat, that ultimately you, you lose visual contact with it. So now the Gemara is saying, however, if they are identifying simanim on the, on the receptacle that houses the item, that even if you've lost visual contact with it, that allows you to establish a fact that the item that you found was in fact the item that you lost. Gidi Sali, another interesting case. Let's say you lost a kid. That will say Again, this is the kid that you eat, not the kid that you eat. Mm-hmm. So, so you, lost, you lost your roasted kid, okay? So the Gemara says, Ishtachach ba'asrachi di gufta So i listen to this. So, there was, so they once found the roasted kid. They found the roasted kid. di gufta. But say, if we take a look again at the Tiklin and Charatin, isracha is a shuk, is a marketplace. Gufta is a place. So we'll say, so first of all, this sounds so strange to us in our current climate of kashrus, But it's fascinating. So, so they find a, you can imagine, find a roasted kid and is it kosher or not? And what happens? They found it in the marketplace of Goftra and they permitted it. They permitted it. Why do they permit it? They both this is actually quite fascinating. And they permitted it for two reasons. Number one, because of just the general halachos of finding lost objects, which we'll define in just a moment, <laughs> and because of the majority of pedestrian traffic. Now what does this mean? <laughs> I will say, what does it mean that they permitted it because of mitzia? Because it's a found object. The time I will say, listen to this. Hamatsil Miyad Hari. I will say, if let's say I save someone's property from a lion. I don't know, a lion is attacking Ruvain's property, and I save that property from a lion, or Miyata ha or there's a band of armed robbers that are trying to steal something from Ruvain, and I go ahead and save the item, or Mishuna sayam umishuna sanar, or I save it from a surge of the sea, or a surge of there. if it's about to be washed away, or plach or something is lost in a large marketplace and I find it. in all of these cases, and this is in all of these cases, the object that you find is yours. Is yours. So again, in all of these cases, again, where I find this object, I say this object is mine. Why? We'll say, why? Because again, the owners are Messiahish. Now, what's Yeyush? Ye'osh means when you give up hope of ever retrieving an object. So when you give up hope of ever retrieving an object, essentially what you do is you relinquish your ownership rights. When you relinquish your ownership rights, what do you do to that item? You make it? half Hef- Oh, that's nice, good. All right. When you make it Hefker, when you make it Hefker, it means anybody who gets it ultimately could acquire it. So the Gemara saying over here that in the normal circumstances, when people see their property in a hopeless situation, they give up. So if I see a lion attacking something of mine, I'm not fighting that lion. So pretty much what I've done is I've, I've written that off. I've, 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 I've already claimed that as a loss. Or again, I see the river, I see the river washing something. I'm not getting that back again. Or I lose it in a large public place, this is assuming things that don't necessarily have a clear or defining simon or a unique simon. I write these things off. So the Gemara is saying, if I am the finder and I find any of these items, I am in fact permitted. So this is reason, so therefore, if you lose your roasted kid in the, in the marketplace, so the assumption is most people assume that what? I'm never going to find that again. Besides the fact that, again, I'm not, I'm not going to assume that somebody's going to return, I'm just never going to find it. So the assumption is that the bailim, the owners, have yeosh So that was reason number one that they permitted. So again, remember, what's the case over here? So a Jew is finding this roasted kid in the marketplace of Gufta. So first of all, number one, alz elam etzius. We're called choshen mishpat. They say you could keep it. Right, you could keep it. Why? Because the assumption is the owner had yeosh Okay, but that doesn't tell me what. Right, it tells me it's kosher. All it tells you is that I could keep it. I. What about the fact that it's kosher? That's number two. So what does it mean? And number two is because of the majority of pedestrian traffic. To go, because of the majority of pedestrian traffic. Um, I'm sorry, I just lost the place over here. Uh, Now literally what that means is you need not be concerned that it was shechted by by a non-Jew And we'll say what does that mean? apparently the case over here in Gufta was the majority of people were Jewish. So the majority of people were Jewish, and therefore, again, Lemaisa, you could assume that the animal itself was kosher. So therefore, again, they permitted this individual who found they roasted, again, I've, I've just, apparently now I'm getting texts in the middle of shear with information I shouldn't say roasted kid, young goat. Young goat, I appreciate it. Please feel free to text your comments to me while I'm in the middle of giving the sheer I, I, I do appreciate if you have suggestions, perhaps things you'd like me to do differently. (laughs) 443-803-4354. Please. (laughs) So, So, the young goat. So... I thank our anonymous. Uh, I thank our anonymous, your contributor, okay. for that. So, so therefore, again, they allow this individual to keep the young goat on two reasons. Number one, the Choshen mishpat idea, because halacha l'maisa it's a lost object for which the owner has total yeush. And number two, the majority of people are Jewish, and therefore we could assume yeah. that the goat itself was kosher. Fine. And the Gemara says, interestingly, there's an interesting okay. postscript. V'istachach the base, Rabbi. I Did I skip a few lines? No, you're skipping a few lines because the Gemara is going to go ahead. The Gemara is going to go ahead. Okay. it's just like open text mic in. day? Yeah, te- text it in, say. It, please <laughs> <laughs> next time. <laughs> All right. So the Gemara says the following. Yes, and if, also if you text me by 5.40, oh. I'll make sure to have your coffee. <laughs> hi, hi, how you like it in your place. So the Gemara says the following. Eagle de Gouwna. Another case. Another case. A wheel of cheese. So, de So they once found the wheel of cheese in the punda. pundak is an inn, in which levy was staying. Okay, so we'll say, same Shaila comes up. So the question is, what do you do with the wheel? Can you eat the wheel of cheese? So the Gemara says, They permitted the cheese for Jewish consumption for two reasons. Mishum shnei Mishum they permitted the chase for two reasons. Number one, because laws of mitzia, again the choshen and mishpat, and because of the law, because of the rove of the pedestrian traffic. What does mean, mishum mitzia? So we'll say the gemara calls the same thing. Mishum mishum mitzia hamatzil Hagayis. Again, same thing as we said before. Somebody who says something from. Gai, so we'll say in this case, is, a, is an armed bandit, miyat Ha'ari, from a lion, mishuna surge of the sea, surge of the river, isracha gidola large marketplace, platscha gidola Hare So we'll say, again, in all of these cases, a person, the owner is miyaish. a person, the owner gives up hope of ever retrieving the object, and therefore lemaisa the finder, is permitted to keep it. And so we'll say, so number one, we assume over here that the inn is considered to be a public place. So because it's considered to be a public place, the assumption is that anyone who loses an object in and in an inn, does not have any hope of retrieving that object. So now we see, mishpat, you are permitted to go ahead and keep the object. Like we said before, that only tells me I can keep it. It doesn't tell me what, if I can eat it. So then the Gemara says, no, because in all these cases where you lose the object under these circumstances, the owners are miyayish. They, they, they don't have any hope of rec- rec- uh, retrieving it. Therefore, number one, we establish you can keep the wheel of cheese. Okay, now I know I can own it. Can I eat it? So the Gimara says. So the Gimara says, and Mishum Ro Mahachrachim. And what does it mean? Because of the majority of pedestrian traffic, Mishum Gavinas Nohri. Because we because we don't have to be concerned that it's cheese of a non-Jew again. Remember what there is a concept of gavinas akum, which means that a Jew is not permitted to eat of the cheese of a non-Jew, and that's for because a couple of different reasons about that. But the simplest reason was because often there was animal rennet that was used to go ahead and create the cheese, which of course could be pro- halachically problematic if it comes from a non-kosher animal. Might even be problematic if it comes from a kosher animal of a din of bus. But that we'll get to. We'll get to when we get to Chulin. So, said. So therefore, it turned out that they permitted this wheel of cheese again. Number one, because the assumption is the owners were miyayish, and number two, because the majority of people that came through the inn were Jewish, and therefore the mice of the cheese was permitted. And we both say, what happens? And sure enough, what occurred. And it turned out, Rabbi said that it was actually Rabbi ben Rabiosi's cheese. So it turned out, meaning that, that all the gemaras, these postscripts are just to say that they made that right halal. Calculations and it's just interesting to see that the right halachic calculations in fact mirrored the actual reality. Fine. So both say, Amr, Rabmana, Kumi, Rabbi both say, this is very interesting. So now rabbiosi said, excuse me, Rabilo um Rabbi Mona said before Rabyosi something fascinating. The anan chamyon, Rabonan so he says, so, I will say, but you know, I'll tell you it's interesting. Because in both of these cases, you said that the owner could keep the object. But I'll tell you that I have seen the rabbis in certain circumstances. This is talking about personal, personal anecdotes. I've seen when, the, when, when our Rabbanim have found objects in similar situations, where what? Where there was, where there was an implied yayush and where there was a majority of Jewish people. And so therefore, halakhically they would have been entitled to keep it. But yeah, What? They didn't. They akhriz means they announced it. So even though when they were entitled to keep the object, they still announced it. I was saying, take it take a look. Take a look at the Tiklin Kharatin. Actually, no. Um, no. no, take a look, I'm sorry, at the Carbana Ada. So look at the Carbona Aida writes. Uh, left hand side, Amurab Mana. It's in the in the short lines about um I don't know, call it 10 lines down. So now I'll we'll say after the Gemara goes ahead and kind of lays down this halachic ruling, you have Rabbi Yossi coming before Ammana, or Ammana coming before Rabbi Yossi, and saying, But the rabbis don't follow this. Meaning the rabbis, in fact, even though the rabbis would be entitled to go and keep these objects, they still announce it. So Re- Rabbi Yossi responds very interestingly. He says, at in Havyosa Mishkacha So introduce so so Rabyosi says to Ramana, tell me Rav Ramana, and if you were to go ahead and find an object like this, would you not keep it? So will say what 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 Rabbi Yossi was telling Ramana is, I don't understand, don't make it sound like if you found an object in these circumstances, you wouldn't keep it. Of course you would keep it. After all, Yona Avuch, Yona, your father. So I'll we'll say, just take a look at the Karmena Edaf one more second. If you were to find such an object, where you do not keep it for yourself, so back to the Gemara. Rabbi Yona Avuch, Rabbi Yona, your father. Rabbi Yonah says this is Rabbi Yosi speaking to Rabbi Mana. So Rabbi Mana, your father, Rabbi Yona. So we'll say, listen to this. So Rabiosi said to Rabbi Yonah, I want to tell you, your own father Rabiona, sometimes I would be with him when he would find an object and he would say, oh, if only I would have found this in a public place. Now I would like, say, what does it mean to find this in a public place? No. Meaning what he was lamenting, the fact was, you know, now, look, it's a good object, I, but I have to return it, obviously, because I found it in a situation I have to return it. If only I would have found it in a public place, I would have been permitted to keep it. Have been permitted to keep it. So, we'll say, so what Rabbi Mana was saying to Rabbi Yossi is, I don't understand what you're talking about. The rabbis who announced this stuff when they could keep it, your own father would have kept it. So the Gemara says, So we'll say, Rabbi, Rabbi Mana. With Span listen, I want to tell you, there were circum yes, my father said that, but I will tell you firsthand that there were circumstances when my father found things that he would have been entitled to keep and yet what? And yet he still announced them. Then I'll say again. So this is also an interesting thing in halacha, obviously, again, there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is, in the circumstances spelled out above, you are permitted to keep the object. So again, if you find it in a public place, or any circumstance, or any situation where you could assume that there is circumstantial yeyosh, right, or, and you could rely on the fact that there's a robe of pedestrian traffic, you could keep the object. You could definitely keep the object, but there also is a midas chasidus. There's a certain level of piety of going above and beyond, trying to track down the owner of the object, even if you are not entitled to do so, says the Mishnah. Plus another interesting Mishnah: If you if they found an animal. They find, an, they will say, this is a live animal. They find an animal uh, between Yerushalayim and Migdal Eder. And I will say Migdal Eder, Migdal Eder is, is around the area of Beis Lechem. So you find an animal between Yerushalayim and uh, Migdal Eder. Or for that matter, Migdal Eder is just giving you a distance. But in fact, what it's saying is, if you find an animal within that distance of Yerushalayim, Migdal Eder is approximately 15 kilometers from Yerushalayim. So what the Mishnah is saying is, if you find an animal within 15 kilometers of Yerushalayim, again, remember, it's not limiting it to the direction of Migdal Eder. It means 15 kilometers in all directions. Then what? Zicharim olos. If it's a male animal, you assume it's an ola. Nikevos zivchei shlamim. If it's a female animal, you assume it's a shlamim. I will say again: see here what's happening over here. The Gemara is making the assumption that livestock, stray live. This is not talking about animals that I have in my own personal ownership. This is saying you find the stray, you find the stray. So what happens? You assume that within certain proximity to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is an escaped carbon. This is an escaped carbon, or it's a lost carbon. Rabbi Rabbi Judah says again: what, what that would mean is. Often, you can't go ahead and track down the owner of the animal. So what, it, what it's saying is that you would have to offer it up as a carbon. So you now, if you find that animal, your responsibility would be to offer it up as a carbon. So, my takes this weiter. Rabbi Hudu says, If you find within 30 days before Pesach, if you find a stray animal that looks like, that is fit for Pesach, and I must say, again, remember, in order to be a carbon Pesach, you need an animal to be within its first year. So if you find an animal that is fit for Pesach, within 30 days before Pesach, you assume that that animal is a carbon Pesach. So i listen to what happened. Originally, when you found an animal, also remember, most carbonos, many carbonos, have accompanying nisachim, have accompanying libations. So what would happen? So if you go ahead and you find this stray animal, now you have to bring it as a carbon, which also means What? You have to bring the So, what would Bezdin do if Bezdin heard that you would go ahead and that you had found an animal that has to be brought as a carbon, They would seize collateral from you in order to ensure that you paid for the nesachim, in order to ensure that you brought the proper nesachim. Because there was a concern that people would say, "Listen, it's not my, it's not my animal. What I have to bring?" So they seized collateral to ensure that you would bring the nesachim. However, what happened? <laughs> you know what happened. So what happened? What happened when people saw a stray animal? They just walk the other way. They just walked the other way. You see another a number of examples like this, where Chazal where Chazal made a in order to go ahead and they thought preserve the the greater good, and then they realized that what ended up happening is people just said forget about it. I can also say in general people don't want to be bothered. If you make something too difficult for people, they're just gonna walk away. So Chazal, so it backfired. It backfired. So what happened? So Chazru. Excuse me, Hiskinu Sheihu Nechasin in Seber. So, what did Bezdin establish? Bezdin said, Okay, you know what? Here's what's going to happen. If you find an animal that is set aside for sacrificial use, then Lemaisa, what are we going to do? We're going to go ahead and we're going to say, You bring the animal. Beis Hamiktosh will pick up the tab for the Nesachim, right? We'll bring that from communal funds. Amit Rav Shem, says, "I also says, now once you speak about rabbinic enactments, the Bav Shem, Zayin Zeram Eskidu Beisdin. So the Beisdin, the Beisdin established seven things. I will say, obviously, they established much more than seven things. It's seven things in this particular context. What are they? So one of them is the thing that we just read. Namely, that Lameis if you find the carbon, if you find the carbon, and now you want to go ahead and you're going to bring it. Beis will pick up the tab for your nisachim. What else did they establish? If a non Jew goes in and sends an olah from overseas, and he sent nisachim, then I have to understand something. One of the things that, that we that we don't always appreciate when it comes to the Beis Hamikdash is, you know, we say it in we say it in slichos. The Beis Hamikdash was special. Not just for Klal Yisrael, the Beis Hamikdash was special for the for, for humanity because non-Jews could offer karbanos in the Beis Hamikdash as well. Everybody could connect to Akavdeshmarucho through the Beis Hamikdash. Let's say you have a non-Jew that sent an Ola from overseas. Now, what happens? And he sent Nisachim along with it. And I will say, now, what does it mean he sent Nisakim? It can't mean that he sent his wine, because if he sent his wine, we're not offering up his wine. What it means is he sent money for Nisakim. Then what? Craving, Then we say thank you to the Nanjou. We say thank you for your carbon. Thank you for the Nisachim. And we purchase Nisachim with his money. But let's say he just sent the carbon, but he didn't send the Nisakim. Then what? Craven Michel sebor then we go ahead and we pay for the gentiles and through communal funds also this is quite fascinating because what would happen if a jew showed up and brought and brought his carbon and didn't want to pay for the nasachim come back come back when you ha- well, come back when you want to spend for your nasachim so it's, it seems to be made shalom it seems to be in order to preserve greater peace with our gentile neighbors if for some reason this carbon shows up without the money for the nasachim the Jewish people pick up the tab for that. Quite interesting. V'chein ger similarly if a convert died, V'anyach zvachim, and he left behind karbonos. So i will say, again, let's say either he left animals that were designated as karbonos, or he left money that was designated for sacrificial purposes. So im yesh nesachim, if he has money in his estate. I will say, again, the reason why they're using a ger is because that's the only case in halacha where you could have a situation of what? Where somebody dies without Yarshin. Somebody dies without inheritance. Meaning, let's say a person converted, never married, never had children. So you could have a situation where, again, technically he dies and has no family. So in that case, again, in that case, he goes ahead and we take from his estate, if from his estate vemla but if there's no money in his estate craven michael seabor then we take the money from communal funds uh craven michael seabor utnai based in who robson say another interesting idea utnai based in who are coin goddel shames robson say listen to this let's say the coin goddel dies shite in xaso craven michael seabor that his minr we will say every single day every single day the Kohen Gadol brought a carbon mincha called the Ha'ifa. And what happens is actually this carbon was split into two pieces. He offered one piece in the morning, one piece in the evening. So let's say again, you now, under normal circumstances, or one piece in the afternoon, not evening. Under normal circumstances, the Kohen Gadol dies, you would appoint, you appoint someone quickly. Let's say for some reason there's a delay, what, whatever, whatever the reason is. So the halakha is we continue to bring the Kohen Gadol's mincha, even what? Even in the absence of the coin Gadol himself, and where does that money come from? The money comes from Tzibor. The Tzibor. Rabbi. Who don't Rabbi, who this says? No, Mishal Yarshem. No, it's not true. Does it come from the Tzibor, But rather, it comes from who? The coin Gadol's inheritors. The Gemara goes weiter. Ushlema ha'isa kreva. And I will say this is just an interesting aside. If there was no coin Gadol, when they would offer up the coin Gadol's mincha, they wouldn't split it into two portions, but rather what? They would offer it up at once. Ala melach. What do you mean? Offer what up at once. The mincha. Kar-min-cha. They would split the Karmincha up into two pieces, two portions, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and then they would offer it up at once. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, Mishal, I'm sorry, this is Mishal Yarshin, So the Gemara says the following. Va'ala Another takkanah is the, the rabbis instituted that the Kohanim could get benefit from the salt and from the wood. Now, say, what does that mean? Kohanim get sacrificial parts of animals. Obviously, what that means is they have to prepare it for consumption. Where are they gonna prepare it? in the base In order to prepare meat, what do you need? You need salt and you need wood right? You need, you need fire, you need salt. So we'll say, so remember, there's plenty of fire, there's plenty of wood, and there's plenty of salt in the Beit but who does it belong to? It belongs to the Beit Samikdash. The rabbis instituted that part of the hektish, part of the consecration status of the wood and the salt in the Beit Samikdash was what? That it al- was allowed to be used for the Kohanim for their personal sacrificial purposes. Obviously, if the coin brings lunch from home, he can't go ahead and use the salt to go ahead for that. And he can't use a log to heat a fire to heat up his wife's leftovers. That, that, that she can't do but to go ahead and cook the sacrificial parts that are his that he can do that We'll see what this means in the Gemara that there is no mi'ilah, remember mi'ilah means inappropriate use of consecrated property there is no mi'ilah with its dust Well it's another interesting idea if they, were, if they were invalidated bird offerings. Now what does that mean? Let's say you yeah, had the following circumstance. Let's say, remember we spoke about this last two days where you had your chauffeur, you had your receptacle that was there for money of kiné of kiné of the kingdom of the bird offerings, which are chatas offerings. So let's say now something happens. Let's say they checked one of the birds and it turns out that the bird is puzzled. the bird is trafe. or whatever, something else. So what happens? You need to offer a replacement karban, right? Why do you have to offer a replacement carbon, I will say Because mice again, somebody's relying on that karban for their own atonement purposes. So we're where does that money come? So remember, remember what happened. So you know, Mrs. Schwartz dropped off her uh, dropped off her money for her kinim. And what happens? She went home. So what happens now that now her bird is trafe? So where does that become? Where does it get replaced from? Communal funds. So we'll say it's quite fascinating. So you see that the base Mikdash itself is picking up the tab on many things. So the base amictosh picks up the tab on the replacement carbon if something wasn't validated. Aye. But we saw yesterday, Rabbi Riosi says, no, no, no. It wasn't the base hamikdash. Who picked up the tab for replacements? We saw this yesterday already, Hamisapike Sakinen, who is Sapike Absulos, the guy who landed the contract The bird contract with the basement, which was a very lucrative contract. So part of his contract was what? We saw yesterday that in the event of any losses, like for example, in the case of where the money landed in between the two, the guy who supplied the birds would pick up the lost wages for the first chauffeur. In the case of invalidated carbonos, he also picked up the loss. Okay, I'm sorry. Replacement clause. replacement clause, right? So the Gemara says the following. I will say, and just so you should understand, all, all, in general, all of the contracts of the Beis Hamikdash carry with it some some exceptional level of risk. Meaning, if you have if you have careless kohanim or or whatever, you just have some, so it could end up costing you. But remember, it appears that you people made it up. The vendors made it up in sheer volume. If you could just imagine the volume of supply of, of these of these contracts, it must have been enormous. Says the Gemara. Rav Oshia, Rabbah Amr. So we'll say. So the Gemara says the following. Take a look again at the carbonate. eda. So the carbonate eda writes lava with the initial kolomar, ihi vaday low carbon. And so we we'll also listen to this. So the Gemara says, when we seek about this idea, remember we said before, the mission started off by saying that if you find an animal from Yerushalayim until Migdal Eder, so within 15 kilometers of Yerushalayim, so if it's a male animal, it's considered to be an Ola. And if it's a female, it's considered to be a Shlom. So the Gemara says, what's the case over here? The case was not where you're offering up the animal itself we don't know with absolute certainty what the animal is, but rather what you're going to do is you're going to redeem the animal with money and you're going, you're going to keep the animal and the money is going to be sanctified. So then the Mishnah's telling me, what do I do with the money? So if it's a male animal, the money's going to go towards an Ola. If it's a female animal, the money's is going to go towards shlamim. So we're going to say, rabbi Yochanan, Omrim So both saying, the Gimara says, I don't understand what that means. Is that, we're so we going to tell a person to go ahead and to go ahead and be doomy I will say, what does this mean? We know that if an, if an animal is vested with sacrificial sanctity, you can't just redeem that animal for money. What normally has to happen? You have to allow the animal to graze. The animal develops a mum, which makes it invalid for the Mizbeach. And then afterwards, what? Then you could go ahead and redeem the animal. Here you're telling a person that they could proactively redeem an animal for money. It doesn't make sense. But rather, again, what the Gemara says is like this. The Gimara says that Lemaisa will we go after the rove. And what and what does the rove say? Hel- um. If the majority of, if, right, if, if it's a male, the majority of males are olos. If the majority of females, the majority of females they're shlamim. So we'll say, look at the and He says, We don't consider this act of deconsecration of an animal. Why? Because at the end of the day, we don't really know the status of this animal. What we're trying to do is try to hedge our bets and we're just trying to say in the event that it was a carbon, we're going to deal with its sanctity sufficiently but because you don't really know what it is the act of deconsecration of an animal is not considered to be something that is wrong so the Gemara says, but one second so the Gemara makes it sound that if it's a male it's olos and if it's a female it's shlamim is that to say that a shlamim can't come from a male animal? It's not true you can bring a male animal shlamim as well so what do you do? So Os osa motzion the va osa osan olos olos. So the gemara is something very interesting. So what do you do? You go ahead and you deconsecrate the animals, and what does the gemara say? And you go ahead and you bring them olos olos. And I to say, what what does this mean? So take a look. At the Carbana Edo once more it begins on Ahmed Alif. He says, Amenas uh case Mishani Kesiru osa O Motsian Lehulin, Amenashi Yaksro Lios Olos, the Inzechate, the Ha Alko Pana Makriva Gabiam is beach, the Yosa Nirali, the Afzem in Akusha Afrabu de Kasha Ketsu Osa, Elashmo Sinola. So Yimmar essentially says the Maisa like this. You know, the Mishnah makes it sound like when you go ahead and you find that this animal, that this animal is going, is a carbon. The Imar is saying, we don't know what the animal is. All we have is a circumstantial Reality that what? That since the animal is in such close proximity to your and it's just wandering around, chances are that it's a carbon. But because we don't know the absolute certainty that it's a carbon, therefore the easiest way for us to deal with this animal is to deconsecrate it onto money and to go ahead and use the money for sacrificial purposes. Right, but how do I know what sacrificial purposes to use the animal for? To which the Gemara says, all we can go is after Rove. And Rove tells me that the Rove of male animals are olos, the Rove of female animals are shlomim, and that's what we're going to do. So the Gemara goes right to Amr Rabzira, Kamad da at Amr, Taman, Tanai bezdin hu, Soros, osoros, Shayikruvu olos, Kain at mar uf hacha, Tanai in who Allah ovdos, Allah or Allah avudos, Shikruvu So we'll say the Gemara says Rabzira gives us simple, simpler ideas. He says, Listen. Well, so we were speaking uh, very, very extensively about this concept of t'nai Beisdin. So Tanai Bezdin means what? That Chazal legislated in certain circumstances how to deal with certain items. So for example, Chazal said that if you, have over, if you have left over half shekels, so what do you do with that? We go ahead and we use that to purchase olos. And I, but why? Because that's, that's what Chazal legislated. That's how Chazal set this up, this system. So Chazal also legislated that if you have lost sacrificial items, that what do you do? If they're males, you go ahead and you give it in as olos. And if you're females, you, you give them a shlum. So what the Gemara is saying is, don't ask the question of how you can actively deconsecrate an animal because that question is not shayach here. Because here, only thing that's in operating is what? Is the fact that Chazal made a tanai. And the tanai is, Chazal told you, this is how you resolve this particular circumstance. So the Gemara goes, Right? Amalab Yossi, Amalab Yaakov, Ben-Acha, in zamezid. And again, in i also to understand when a person deconsecrates this animal, when 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 do we get very nervous? If you actively, intentionally deconsecrate an animal, if I go ahead and I I designate this little uh this little young goat, well, I don't want to say kid, this little young goat as a as a, as a carbon, and then I say, you know what? No, I don't want to bring that goat, and I deconsecrate, I take the sanctity of the animal and put it back onto the money. That's in Chazal, so that's really not a good thing to. Do. Also, I also just want to point out, if you did it, it works. It works, but we don't want you doing that. That's, that's called meila. It's not real meila. But what it means is you're taking liberties with consecrated property, which you can't do. That's not applicable over here. Why is it not applicable over here? Because here Chazal are telling you this is this is a different kind of case, and Chazal telling you I'm telling you how to go ahead. Chazal are telling us how to deal with this case. How do you deal with the case of the lost animal? Chazal wants you to deconsecrate the animal onto money. Keep the animal for yourself and offer up the money depending on the gender of the animal. Says the Gemara. Amra anataman, while I was still in Babel, Shamis <laughs> called Rabbi Yehuda, Sha'alushma, and heard Rabbi Yehuda ask the find question, Shmuel. Hifrish, if a person separated out his half shekel and then he died before he got a chance to contribute it, so mostly we've had this case already a number of times. Amrle, <laughs> so what do you do with it? And he responded, Yiplu <laughs> lindaval. It goes into the Nedava. And I also remember, what does Nedava mean? Nedava is ketza Mizbeach, which is the dessert for the mezbeach, which means what? It goes into the additional carbon fund. Asiris and what happens say if the Kohen Gadol has additional monies from his, Asirah Sa'efah is his mincha offering. What happens to, to say? let's say the Kohen Gadol, remember the Asirah Sa'efah, I want to point out, comes from the Kohen Gadol's own personal funds. So let's say now the Kohen Gadol went ahead and was setting aside money for his Asir Sa'efah, and he has left over Assyria Sa'ifa monies, Rabbi Yochanan says, you throw it into the, to, to the dead, which is another way of saying what? You can't redistribute those funds. To, they can't be used for anything else. You can't go and allocate them for another carbon because once they were set aside for Assyria Sa'ifa, that's it. You're done. Rabbi, Lazar, Rabbi Eliezer Omer Yiplu lul But it says, no, they can be used ultimately for nidava, which means for olos. Asirah Sa'ifah shal gadol. So, well, Sainab records an interesting makhlukes about the How Sa'ifah. Now, remember, the Asirah Saifa is the mincha offering of the coin gadol that he brings every day. Here's what everybody agrees with. It's a carbon that is split into two parts, one part is offered in the morning and one part is offered in the afternoon. We're going to see a fundamental machlokis as to how it was created. Rabbi Yochanan Omer Chutsa or Chutsa Osa the Mekatsa. Rabbi Yochanan says you split it into two parts and then only afterwards do you sanctify it. So once we'll again, remember how do you sanctify a karmi mincha by putting it into a klisharis by putting it into one of the service utensils. So, Rabbi Yochanan, you make it outside of the klisharis. You split it into two parts and you only sanctify it when when. When it's actually going to be used. Okay. Reb Shimon and says, no. So Reb Shlokish says, no, no, no. What do you do? You make the whole thing in a cliche, and therefore it all becomes Kodesh from the beginning. And then what? And then after it's Kodesh, then you divide it up. So I'll say, fundamental Achlokis is do you consecrate it at the beginning or do you consecrate it as it's being used? So You'll say to yourself, who cares? Here's an Afkamina. So the Gemara says Masnisa pli al Rabbi Yochanan. We have a Mishnah that argues on Rabbi Yochanan. What's the case? Makriva, makriv mechza u mechza. So right. So what happens? We go ahead and we offer up the minchas, or the other should say, the coin God offers up his asiru saifa piece by piece. Avad, avad pasrila shekine afilu maos yelchul liamamelach. So what's we'll it? Listen to this. So let's say have the following case. And take a look for a moment at the Karbana Ida. So the Carbana Ada writes the following He says, he says, uh makriv He says, he quotes over here in Minachos, say, listen to this. Let's say part of the part of the of the Kohen Goddles, Asirah Saifa, becomes tame. So, what happens to both sides? So, the what do we do in that circumstance? We go ahead and we bring a new. Carbona car uh, m uh, I'm sorry, Assyria Saifa. And look at the, look at the Carbanaida. He says, The Chotseu makriva mechso mechso, Avat Shaminon di Inhu kidusha le Khatsoin, Elakula Bebas Achos, the Kavan de Lothark Lemchashini Shekharnis Kali Shariovas. Well, since this case. So let's say Koen Gotl offers up his half his, his first half of the Asira Saifa in the morning. And then what happens? The second half becomes Tameh. So what do we do? The the Mishnah says we bring a whole new Asirah Sa'ifa and we offer half of it and half of it gets thrown out. Now what does that show? That shows that Lameisa, the entire Asirah Sa'ifa is sanctified at once. Because if it wasn't all sanctified at once, all you need to do is sanctify one portion and you don't have to throw out the second portion. The fact that you throw out the second portion indicates that it's all sanctified at once, which is a contradiction to Rabbi Yochanan. Mas Nisa Playa Arab Shimon Lokish There is the Michal Context which Lakish Raz Raish Lakish say Nimtu in soin cravin Ushnechat Soin Avuddin. Raish Lokish says that this was we'll if you take a look again at the Karbana Aida, Nimtu Base Khatsoin, Koin A koin godel, shekrivum mechza Shachris, um mina akher amino Acher tahtov, maybe isaron shelling, vikot se you makriv mechza. So what's will listen to this. So the Gimara says. Let's say we will say the coin gadol died middle of the day, and they appoint another coin gadol. So now the coin gadol comes along and he offers up. Let's say coin gadol number one offered up his half in the morning. Coin gadol number two offers up his half in the afternoon. And what do we say? And what do we say that? Again, the first half, half of the coin gadols, first half of the coin gadols. I should say the second half of the coin guddles, the second half of the first coin guddles mincha. And the second half of the second kohen gadol's mincha have to be left overnight and ultimately are taken out to the base asreifa. So Rabbi Yishlakish will interpret that case to mean like Rabbi Yishmael who holds that what Rabbi that in fact it is all sanctified in the kli Therefore, the entire thing is really sanctified from the beginning, and therefore that's why you have to throw out the remaining amount. Rabbi Bosai, the whole yisod is: do you sanctify the fundamental machlokis do you sanctify the entire? At once, or do you sanctify it as needed? What's I mean, the practical difference? Will be in this case where the coin guddle dies midday. So, what do you do then with the remaining part of his mincha? Can you just set it aside? Because essentially it's not consecrated, and therefore you could use it for something else. Or do we say, you No, know, it's been consecrated, but it can't be offered because it was consecrated for coin guddle A, and coin guddle A is now dead. Again, when a coin guddle when a coin, I should say it's actually when any coin, when a coin when a kohen is inaugurated for the first time for his service, he brings that he brings an Asira Saifa of his own money, biyado, and he and he offers it himself. So sha'avdu ad asira saifa So this is very interesting. So a coin Godel on his first day on the job, and a coin headyot, a regular coin on his first day on the job. Each of them have to bring an Assyria Sa'ifa of their own money and they offer it themselves. But if they began to do their avoda and they did not bring the Assyria Sa'ifa, their avoda is still kasher. Rebbeimana boi meimar bo bayom shenis kari v'tchila bo bayom nismana gadol. wanted to say the following: On the day when a regular coin first begins to serve as a koin, or on the day where a koin gadol first begins to serve as koin gadol, maybe shtaim. He actually brings two min two asir seifas two mincha offerings. Why achas lichinucho one in honor of his inauguration hayom and one as obligatory for the day. So the gemara says Tofini the go over here quotes the Pasuk by the karban Mincha the Torah says tuf, tuf, Tufine now Tufine means baked items plural so the Gemara says why does it call the karban Mincha baked plural B'Sha Tofini. Taufini Ve'in B'Shachris tofini. it teaches me that when does the Mincha have to be baked when do the loaves have to be baked they only have to be baked at the time when the Karban is offered i.e. by daybreak and not earlier Shachris over here means by dawn not earlier. so they have to be baked already when it's daytime and not earlier than daytime Ay, but we learn that One of the things that he used to do in the Beisamitash is they would wake, they would wake the chavitin bakers, you know, time to make the chavitin right, they had to go ahead and wake the chavitin bakers early in the morning so that seems to indicate what Rebbe saying, that the chavitin were, the chavitin are these these loaves of mincha or the, right, wafers of mincha, really loaves that they would go ahead and bake them early in the morning No, 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 what that means is they would wake them early to go ahead and hear heat the water for the scalded loaf. We will see, Rabbi Yasein, that certain minachos were first boiled in water and then baked afterwards. So they would get them up early in the morning to get the fire going to, to burn to, to boil the water, but they would not actually bake until daybreak. <laughs> <laughs> so Tofine, Rabbi b'shem Rabbi Chanina, mitagna ofa osa. So Rabbi Yasein, Rabbi said the way they would make these loaves for the mincha is they would first literally matagna fry them, and then afterwards they would bake them. Rabbi Achav Hashem, Rabbi Chanina, Ofe Osa ve'Achach Matagna. No, they would first bake it, and then they would fry it. Tofine again, I both say Tofine. What they're picking up on is the fact that it says baked plural. The fact that it's says baked plural is that in the preparation of these items, there are multiple cooking processes applied. So, did you bake it first, or did you and fry it after? Did you fry it first and then bake it? That's a mechelokas. Te'afena. What does it mean te'afena? No. Te'afena, oh excuse me, tofine, te'afena, na. literally means you should bake it, you should bake it raw. What that means, Rebbe'll say, is that before you cook it, before you finally bake it, you should bring it to some level of partial cookedness and then bake off the rest. Rebi Omer um, Rebi says, te'afena no'e, bake it nicely. Now, say, what does it mean, bake it nicely? Bake it nicely means ultimately make sure that it's prepared in a nice fashion. Rebi Dosa, Omer, te'afena Ribba asyon, ribba asion. I'm sorry. Teafena, ribba asion alin. Let's take a look at the tiklin charetin. Asion ilin plukta, kilomar plukta d'amoroi, asam plukta d'hanach tanoy kide maskul kamon. Man d'mar teafena naa, kiman d'mar ofer v'achchach matagna, u'man d'mar teafena naa, of d'mar matagna So, also what is the gemara saying? Fundamental is as to how to prepare the loaves for the menachos, but essentially everybody's getting it from the same thing, which is tofena. Tofena, or I should say not tofena, t- tufine, that tufine means baked plural, which indicates that's that the preparation of these loaves, there are multiple cooking processes that occurs. There's baking, there's frying, there's partial baking, a little bit more just quickly. Low soft taver shemes. Actually, we'll say no, we'll have to stop over here. Alright, we'll pick up over here, Amir I apologize for going fast towards the end. I took my time too much on, on, on with Aleph. So, Amir, we'll stop over here, we'll pick up right over here tomorrow.